You are listening to the Gird Up Podcast. To gird up is an ancient way of preparing oneself for hard work or a battle ahead. Our work is to reclaim masculinity in the modern world and to live out our calling as men of God. Here you will find a community of believers working hard to become the men that God created us to be. Now it's time to roll up your sleeves and let's get to work. Okay, fellas, uh, you are listening to part two of a three-part series talking about how God defines my manhood and my masculinity. Now, um, the first time, if you haven't listened to the first one, go back and listen to it. It's the last episode. Um, If you haven't listened to it yet, uh, you should. But uh, just a quick reminder of what we talked about the first time was basically we outlined um, what the world says about manhood and masculinity um, and clearly stated why they're wrong. Uh, the reality is that uh, when, as soon as you step outside of God's natural order and the way that he created things, uh, things get weird and messy really, really fast because it's the created order. It's the way God designed us. It's the way God designed everything. Um, and when we deny that uh, masculinity is something learned from our Heavenly Father um, and we try and learn how to be men from the people around us, particularly the sinful people around us, particularly the godless people around us, very quickly turns into uh, manipulation and all kinds of crazy stuff. But it totally misses the point of actually being men. And the actual point of being a man is to glorify God in everything that I do. The actual point of being a man, what it really means to be a man, is to do the Father's will. is to do what God created me to do and be what God created me to be. And we're going to look at that now um, in the three persons of the Trinity. Um, so today we're going to talk about how the Father shows me who God is or what um, God the Father tells me about my God, about who God is. Um and uh, I'll be really honest with you, I've been struggling a lot with this. This is why it's taking me two weeks, three weeks now to get this episode out to you, is that I've been trying to come up with like the perfect uh, manuscript of, of what needs to be said here, um, and maybe that would be the wise <laughs> route to go, um, but I'm tired of reading books, and I'm tired of dancing around this and trying to come up with the exact right words. Uh, and so I simply pray that the Heavenly Father guides my words and represents, uh, or that helps me to present, you know, His identity as it truly is. Um, I think when most people talk about, you know, God the Father, and and some, you know, in some circles they call Him Father God, and and all kinds of different, you know, the, everybody kind of thinks about God the Father differently, and. And uh, some people think about God the Father as being this distant and far-off thing. Um, Some people imagine God the Father to be weak and passive. Um, Some people, you know, call him Father God or Daddy God even or, you know, that kind of thing. And they almost belittle him and make him smaller than he is. Um, But it's important to remember that God is God. Uh, And the first first thing we have to talk about here is... Um, the fact that God is a triune God. Uh, I love the way the Athanasian Creed defines um, the Trinity. Uh, in the Athanasian Creed, they define God as three in one. Um, what the Athanasian Creed actually says is that we worship one God in Trinity 
and the Trinity in unity, neither blending their persons nor dividing their essence. For the person of the Father is a distinct person, the person of the Son is another, and the that of the Holy Spirit is still another. But the divinity of the Father and the Holy Spirit and the Son is one, their glory equal, their majesty co-eternal. What quality the Father has, the Son has, and the Holy Spirit has. The Father is uncreated, the Son is uncreated, and the Holy Spirit is uncreated. The Father is immeasurable, the Son is immeasurable, the Holy Spirit is immeasurable. The Father is eternal, the Son is eternal, the Holy Spirit is eternal. And yet there are not three eternal beings, but there is one eternal being. So too there are not three created or immeasurable beings, but there is one uncreated and one immeasurable being. Similarly, the Father is Almighty, the Son is Almighty, the Holy Spirit is Almighty, yet there are not three Almighty beings, but one Almighty being. Thus, the Father is God, the Son is God, the Holy Spirit is God, and yet there are not three gods, but there is one God. Thus, the Father is Lord, the Son is Lord, and the Holy Spirit is Lord. Yet there are not three lords, but there is one Lord. Just as Christian truth compels us to confess that each person individually has both God and Lord, so... The true Christian religion forbids us to say that there are three gods or three lords. The Father was neither made nor created nor begotten from anyone. The Son was neither made nor created, but he was begotten from the Father alone. The Holy Spirit was neither made nor created nor begotten. He proceeds from the Father and the Son. And so accordingly, there is one Father, not three fathers. There is one Son, not three sons. There is one Holy Spirit, not three Holy Spirits. Nothing in this Trinity is before or after. Nothing is greater or smaller. In their entirety, the three persons are co-eternal and co-equal with each other. And so in everything, as was said earlier, we must worship their Trinity in unity and their unity in their Trinity. Anyone who then desires to be saved should think thus about the Trinity. The reality is, there are three persons, but it is one single God. So anytime you see Jesus, anytime you see the Spirit, anytime you see the Father, you are talking about the same God, but you're talking about a different person of the God. There are three different ways that God presents himself to us. And today we're going to talk about the Father. Now, um, in regards to the Father, I think uh, this is where a lot of men start to go wrong with what they believe. This is where a lot of men would benefit from the study of Scripture, the intense study of Scripture. I'll give you an example of that. Uh, on a podcast about a year ago, I interviewed a young man. <laughs> if you want to know who it is, got to go back and listen. But I interviewed a young man who told us a story about an older gentleman in his life who, when he uh, was confirmed, so when the young man was confirmed, he wrote him a letter um, about what it means to be a Christian man. Um, and, and what he said was, I can't give you much advice on being a godly man. I just try to do the right thing, and I pray that that's all right with God. And now this certainly is not the worst advice we've ever received, um, but it could be better. Uh, it, what it does do is it recognizes uh, humility, right? It has a spark of truth in it, a humility that comes from recognizing that I cannot do what is good and right, and I never will do what is good and right. That I, just like Paul, will spend my entire life striving to do the impossible, which is to kill off the old man, to drown that sinful nature, as Luther says, that sinful nature which lives in me, and to live a holy life. Now, you and I know that we can't do this. We cannot cast off our sinful nature completely. We Every morning, we have to continually drown um, the old man in daily sorrow and contrition, again, as Luther says. 
we can't do this perfectly. And that's where the story of Jesus comes in. If I was perfect, I wouldn't need a redeemer. Right? I need a redeemer because I cannot redeem myself. It is by grace we have been saved through faith, not by works so that no one can boast. We believe this, and because we believe this, this faith secures our salvation. There is hope. and Well, this is where hope and joy come from. This is the only source of hope and joy. But if you think about that statement that the old man made, there's very little hope or joy there at all whatsoever. Remember, he said, I just try and do the right thing and hope that that's all right with God. Can you hear the uncertainty in that statement? I just try to do the right thing and hope it's right with God. There's a lot of uncertainty there. There's a lot of fear there. It is a statement of humility, but it's also an admission that I'm not sure if I'm good enough. And this isn't just an old man saying this. This isn't just some random old man, old guy. This is something that a lot of men feel. This is a sentiment that a lot of men, well, a lot of Christians in general, will make. They're not sure if they're good enough. This is the plateau on which many uh, Christians live. Most men, when they're asked to give testimonies about their faith, will say something like this. I believe that Jesus died, he's my substitute, and he died in order to wash away my sins so that I can go to heaven. And now, because Jesus died for me, I'm going to be try to be as good as I can be as a thank you to Jesus. And this would be a fantastic answer from a second grader. But we're not second graders. We're men. We're men. And we need to have a greater understanding. As Paul said, we need to stop drinking the spiritual milk. And we need to start eating spiritual meat. We need to grow up. And the reason this is a problem is that it very easily... So we start out with this idea of... Uh, I'm thank you, I'm thankful to Jesus for dying for me, so I'm going to do the best I can to, um, to say thank you to him. And it very quickly becomes um, a mentality of I try, uh, because Jesus died for me, now I'm going to be really good in order to make Jesus happy. I'm going to try to be good in order to make Jesus happy. But if my goal is to make Jesus happy, I've got a problem. Because how am I ever going to know if Jesus is happy with me or not? How am I ever going to know if my if my Heavenly Father is happy with me or not? If my whole goal is to make God happy with me, even after I've been redeemed, how do I ever know if I've done it? How do I ever know? I've got a problem. The Bible says that all my righteous acts are like filthy rags. It, that passage is literally translated as used menstrual cloths. That's the best I can do is, is filthy rags. So is Jesus happy with me or not? Am I saved or not? Right? That becomes a very dark path and a very scary path very quickly because I don't know if he's going to save me because I don't know if he's happy with me or not. All of a sudden, I go from confidence in my heavenly father, confidence in the redemptive work of the Savior, and now, instead of being confident in my Savior's work, I'm terrified that I haven't been good enough. I have this tremendous weight on my shoulders because I don't know if I've made Jesus happy or not. we got to get out of this rut of uncertainty and works righteousness. And, and the way we do that is by knowing the Father as he is. Um, when God calls himself the Father, right? When, when he presents to us the person of the Father, he does so intentionally. It's not just a thing. God is very intentional about how he presents himself to us. He always is, even if, like, no matter where you look in Scripture, he's very intentional about this. 
And so uh, when he calls himself father, he's painting a picture for us of who and what he is. Because just as I'm begotten of my dad, right, he and my mom worked together to make me. My dad provided his seed and his blood flows in my veins, just like it is with every human being, right? Parents work together. So my father's blood flows in my veins, right? My father was my life giver, right? Just as my father is my life giver, so my heavenly father is my life giver. He's the creator. The creator shaped and formed me in his own image, in his own likeness. So just like I was begotten of my dad, so I am begotten of the creator, begotten of the father. The creator made Adam, and he made Adam like God. From the same stuff as God, just as I'm made of the same stuff as my dad, Adam was made in God's image. And one of my favorite authors says, To a child, God is simply father written large. Again, to a child, God is simply father written large. And this is absolutely true. In a very good and in a very healthy way, to a kid, our dads are like gods. And they have the authority of God in our lives as Christians. Right? And that's a good thing. Um, in the perfection of the garden especially, this would have been a wonderful thing. Our dads, perfectly in tune with God the Father and walking with God in the cool of the, way of the day just as Adam did, would have painted a perfect picture of the Father's love for us, that great and incredible love of the Father. And we would know God in that same perfect in- intimacy that we'd have with our created dads. That relationship with, with, with God would be the same as my relationship with dad because both of them are perfect. Um, and in turn, our relationships with our own sons would be the same way. Unfortunately, all dads, even the best dads, fall drastically and dramatically short of this mark. Every single one of us has or had a dad who fell short of this mark. A dad who was a sinner. A dad who absolutely failed day after day to be a good dad even, a perfect dad especially, or to be a reflection of the Father. Our dads on earth are not what they were meant to be, just as we are not who we were meant to be. At best, our sinful dads were benevolent and loving dads who gave us a small insight into the incredible and boundless of the Father. And at that point which they fell short, they pointed us to the perfect love of a heavenly Father, right? So when our, the good dads among us, when they failed, they said, you know what, I can't love you perfectly, but you have a heavenly father who can. The worst of fathers are, are just destructive and, and the vindictive and manipulative and coercive and abusive or even just weak and absent. And I think we can all think of dads like that, even if our own weren't. And by the grace of God, I was blessed with a wonderful father, but he failed too. Every dad fails. They've got the same disease that we do. They've corrupt. They become corrupted and infected by the grossest and ugliest of sins and debauchery, as were their own fathers and their fathers. Right? We've all had corrupted fathers going back thousands of generations, all the way back to Noah, even all the way back to the Garden of Eden and Adam and Eve. We have corrupted dads, of course. Not all dads fall in the extremes of abuse or abandonment, but every dad falls short, and most of us had dads that fell somewhere in the middle. Right? Dads who have moments in that extreme where they lose their tempers, or they crumble under pressure, they dip out when times get hard, right? And, and they paint a picture for us of the Heavenly Father that isn't accurate. Um, 
they left every single one of us with a warped and distorted picture of manhood and masculinity. And by default, we then have a broken, distorted picture of God the Father in whose image man is created. And our, our relationships with our dads then, because of this brokenness, end up with this give and take, right? We learn to manage our relationships with our dads because we love our dads and we want our dads' respect and attention because as we grow up, we be, continue to have that pic- picture of dad as God, right? There continues to be a subconscious connection in our minds between dad and God because that's the way we were created. That's the way we were designed by our Heavenly Father. And so no matter how well-intentioned our dads are, the reality is that we do things that make our dads mad and make our dads happy. We do things that make our dads love us more or love us less. And that might make some people offended, but the reality is we do things that make us make our dads love us more and make our dads love us less. And when I, I'm not a father yet, but when I am a father, it will be true for me as well as it is for any other man. There will be things my sons do that make me love them more there are going to be things my sons do that make me love them less, and they will, just as I did and just as you did, learn to manage the relationship with me. So, for example, if Dad gets mad when I don't make my bed, in order to keep Dad happy, I make my bed every day. Right? Um, if Dad loves sports and I want Dad to be happy with me, I might abandon my own interests and desires and give everything, my time, my attention, all my effort to being a success on the athletic field. Right? Because I know that's what dad values, and I want to make dad happy. Dad believes in a working man, and he puts great value in the blue-collar, hands-on, visceral, physical vocations. And so instead of going to college to study history or education or something, right, I take a job on a construction crew just like my dad had. We see this all the time. Men do this all the time. Right? My dad uh, encourages me or discourages me from wasting time on, quote-unquote, wasting time on extracurriculars in high school. So instead of joining the football team or singing in the choir or joining the forensics team or whatever it might be, I focus my stu- on my studies, and because of that, I struggle to make friends, right? We all do things to manage our relationships with our father. Well, we learn to manage these relationships with dad, and then we decide eventually we don't decide. It's, it's subconscious. We apply the same rules to our Heavenly Father. Right? We apply the same rules to our Heavenly Father, but it's a, the problem with that is that God is perfect, and He's a perfect Father, and He's a perfect Dad, and, and we don't have to manage our relationship with our Heavenly Father. And this is the part of this podcast that I was really struggling with to develop and, and to get going um, because... Frankly, this is beyond my understanding or my comprehension. And it's beyond your understanding and your comprehension too. It's something we have to take on faith. Is that God is not sitting up in heaven with a a little notepad keeping track of the good things I do and the bad things I do. The things that make him happy or the things that make him sad. And way too many people get stuck in this rut of believing that they need to make God happy in order to be saved. That they need to make God happy in order to get blessings. But that's not how God presents himself to us. God presents himself to us as a perfect and loving father. He promises to give us hope and a future. He promises that he has given us a son who has taken our place 
who was our substitute on the cross, and now we have been redeemed and forgiven and restored to life with him. He does not see us as condemned sinners any longer. When Jesus died for me, he was my substitute. He took my place on the cross. Instead of me having to live a perfect life, Jesus lived a perfect life. And since I didn't live a perfect life, I deserve death, right? Romans says the wages of sin is death. So someone had to die. And just like the Passover lamb died when the uh, Israelites were leaving Egypt, so Jesus died in my place. And now, because Jesus lived a perfect life and died in my place, and remember, Jesus is God, and he's not like part of God. He's not a portion of God that was sent down. He is God, true God, complete God in human form. He's not just a part of God or a piece of God or a prince of heaven. He is God in human form. He went to the cross and he died, even though he didn't deserve to and he didn't have to. He died in my place as my substitute so that his righteousness might become my own. I can't be righteous. I can't be right with God because I'm a sinner. All men are sinners. All men are evil. All of our righteous acts are like filthy rags. And that's a reality. And the wages of our sin is death. And we all deserve to die. But Jesus died instead. Jesus was our substitute. He took our place and he died instead. So now, and when God looks at us, instead of the Father seeing our sinfulness and seeing us let him down over and over and over again, he sees Jesus' perfection. He sees Jesus. He sees what we should have been, what we ought to have been, what he created us to be. He created you and I to be princes in his kingdom. He created you and I in his image. And when he looks at us now, by Jesus' blood, he sees that perfection. He sees people made in his image. We now wear the righteousness of God. We wear Jesus' righteousness as robes. We have been washed clean. And I cannot muddy those robes. I cannot tatter and tear those robes. If I go and continue to sin, Paul says it is not I that continue to sin. It is the sinful nature which is within me. Now that sinful nature is not going to go away until the moment I die on this earth. But because Jesus died before I died, this is not something to fear. This is actually a moment I look forward to because I recognize that this is release. I no longer have to fight this battle of daily waking up and drowning my sinful man and sorrow and contrition and trying to do my best and knowing I will fail and continuing to go on boldly even though I know I sin. That struggle... Uh, like Native Americans talked about it as the two wolves within me, right? Who are always fighting. That struggle ends when I die. The old man dies. I have been crucified with Christ. My old man is dead and gone. I have been completely redeemed and restored and forgiven. And so when my heavenly father looks at me, he doesn't see a miserable, awful failure. He doesn't see the miserable, awful failure that I am and that I was when I was a sinner. He now sees Jesus. 
he now sees that perfection, that righteousness that he won. He has rode me that way and that's what he sees. And so I don't need to live a life where I'm cowering in fear, wondering if my Heavenly Father is happy with me, wondering if I've done enough good things in order to make God happy. I don't need to wonder. I don't need to hope that it's all right with God. My emphasis isn't even on doing good things anymore. Now, if I have faith, good things will result because I'm going to follow my Heavenly Father. But I no longer live under the law. If you ask anybody, if, if you look into the study of what it means to do good things, what does it mean to do good things? To do a good thing is to do something that God commands, right? To be kind, be gentle, be, those are all fruits of the Spirit. And I can do those things outside of the Spirit of God, but I'm never going to be good enough, right? That's, that's living under the law. And Paul, I think it's in Romans chapter 8, Paul talks about the idea of, I've been set free. Why would I become a slave again? Way too many people have decided to take back and put on the yoke of righteousness again. This idea that I have to be righteous. I don't. What I need to do is cling to my Heavenly Father. Cling to Him and follow Him and listen to Him and do what He says. I'm not going to hear this majestic voice every time a decision comes up that says, Charlie, this is what you must do. It would be foolish to think that that's going to happen. It's not. God doesn't promise that that's going to happen. What he does promise is that when I cling to him, when I walk in his path, no matter which direction I choose, whether I go to the right or to the left, he will be there to tell me, what the way is, and to tell me to walk in it. He promises that I will know what is the right thing to do. He promises I will know which way to go. He promises that he will be my guide. There won't be a voice necessarily, but as I draw closer to my Heavenly Father, I will know, because I know him, I will know his will, and I will do his will. It's not about being good enough anymore. It's not about trying to make God happy. It's about letting the Father love me. Let go of this arrogant idea that I have something to do with my salvation. Let it go. You can't do anything. You couldn't be more saved if you wanted to. Let yourself be free. Let God love you the way he wants to. Put your life in his hands. Stop trying to control everything all the time. Put your life in his hands. Let him be your leader and your guide. And he promises that he has hope and a future prepared for you. He promises he has good things prepared in advance for you to do. And he promises that he will equip you and encourage you all the way. He promises that you will not even strike your foot against the stone. No harm will come of you. Even the worst that human beings can do, even the worst fury that hell can release upon you and unleash upon you is nothing. 
Nothing can separate me from the love of God. Nothing can separate me from the love the Father has lavished on me. He hasn't given me just enough to get by. He has lavished it upon me. He hasn't filled my cup. My cup overflows and continues to overflow and will continue to overflow forever. There's very little joy in a picture that involves me trying to make God happy. God gave his people a command in the Garden of Eden, and it was simply to do what he said. He said, honor me by not eating of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. By the way, the reason it's called the tree of the knowledge of good and evil is that they would know what evil is if they disobeyed God and ate of the tree. And they did so. And now, Adam and Eve and these people were wicked. They, they knew what evil was. They had tasted that wickedness. They had tasted pride. They had tasted sin. And now, they were incapable of loving God the way he asked them to love him. And so he had to kick him out of the garden. Now, again, in the book of Romans, Paul says, The reason God gave us the law is so that we would know what God's will is. So God gave the Israelites the law. He gave them the Ten Commandments and and a whole lot of other laws. But he gave them the Ten Commandments so that they would recognize this is what God wanted and this is not what we're doing. The way the the Lutheran Catechism explains that is it shows us our sin. The law is only there so that we see just how depraved we are, so that we recognize that we need a Savior. The law is not there for you and me to try and fulfill it. It's there to show us that we need a Redeemer. That's it. So don't try and fulfill the law. Don't fret about whether you've done enough good things or not. Relax. Get to know the Father, walk in His love, and cling to Him for life. He loves you. He is the good Father who loves you and cares for you. And He promises that He will never, ever let you go. Our dads were not perfect. Many of our dads (laughs) were very, very far from perfect. Where my dad fell short, the father does not. Where I see weakness in my own dad, where you see weakness in yours, where my own dad saw weakness in his father, God is immeasurably good. God is everything our failing and sinful fathers are not. He is a loving and good father, the only perfect father that there is. And he does not see us as disappointments. We're not letting God down. He loves us. He cares for us. And he waits patiently and eagerly, and he celebrates when we walk that path home to him. And he eagerly awaits the day that that we will join him in his heavenly kingdom for eternity. God bless you. I hope my point has been made here. <laughs> I know I rambled a little bit. 
But the Father loves us. And we need to understand that and we need to believe that. Um, and when we get a picture of the Father God as He truly is, uh, of our Heavenly Father as He truly is, man, what a wonderful picture of redemption and grace. Have a good one, guys. Shine on. Thank you for listening to the Gird Up Podcast. If you like what you're hearing on our podcast, make sure you're sharing it with friends and family, men in your life who you think need to hear our message. You can find us on social media, on Facebook under the Gird Up Podcast, and there's a Gird Up community as well there where you can interact with other men on the journey toward Christian manhood. You can find us on Instagram as girdup underscore like underscore a underscore man. If you'd like to help us bring our message to more men just like you all around the world, you can hit up our Patreon account. Type in www.patreon.com forward slash girdup. And finally, please leave a five-star rating or review on whatever platform you use to listen to our podcast, whether it's iTunes or Spotify. What that does is it helps us get more attention in the podcast world and bring more men to our message. Thank you again for listening to our podcast. Thank you for all the ways you support us and help spread the word. Until next time, go gird up and be the man that God created you to be.